Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Another week, another crash MotoGP podcast with me, Harry Benjamin, Keith Ewan and Pete McLaren on the show this week as we continue to cover off the summer break. It's not long to go now, just a couple more weeks. We're nearly there. Uh, We've got the latest reaction to the news that Danny Pedrosa will be returning to the track on race day as a wildcard entry. We'll also be answering all of your questions that you very kindly sent in to us. It's all very exciting as well. We've got a guest on the show this week. We'll be chatting to Andrea Coleman from the charity Two Wheels for Life, all about what they do and their longstanding relationship with MotoGP. So we're really looking forward to that. All coming up a little later on. Uh, But I think we do need to start and mention the sad loss over the weekend of a rising talent from the European Talent Cup, Hugo Milan Glathia passed away after an incident in Aragon for the CEV Championship. Hugely devastating to hear the loss of such a young rider and the thoughts of everyone from Crash are with Hugo's family and friends at this massively difficult time. And, and Keith and Pete, it's, it's been a tough weekend as well because also we've got Brad Jones who uh, has been, had a serious injury after the uh, Superbike crash from him. And Keith, I know you've just had a quick phone call and you've got a little bit of latest update on that as well. Um, recording this on a Monday, I think it's worth saying. Yeah, Monday, of course, and there's no change really in the condition of Brad Jones at Brands Hatch. I mean, he's a rookie in the Superbike class, well liked. You know, anybody that anybody that saw the World Superbikes yesterday, Scott Redding in Park Ferme wanted to dedicate a win to Brad, who's his friend of his, and to see Scott Redding in tears in Park Ferme, oh, I nearly died watching it. It's one of those situations where we wish, we hope that the outcome will be perfect for Brad Jones. Um, you know, he's, he's in a pharmacological uh, induced coma at the moment. Um, 48 hours are the most important 48 hours of his life. Um, Tuesday morning, we may know more. When this podcast goes out, we should have a better indication as to what um, is likely to happen with Brad Jones. But everybody, everybody wishes the young man well and uh, a full fast recovery, of course. What can you do? What can you say with these things? I mean, we, we are, it's, it's brought into stark contrast, isn't it? And we, we're racing motorcycles at 100 plus mile an hour just about everywhere. And you know, when it goes wrong, it goes seriously wrong. And Brad's seriously injured. In the case of the youngster at Aragon, of all places, a Grand Prix track, a safe racetrack. When you fall down in the middle of the track and you are collected by another motorcycle traveling, traveling at that velocity, the outcome is never that great. So young Hugo becomes a trackside with his injuries. 
it sparks another massive debate about whether these guys are too young. You know, are you ever old enough to be killed in a racetrack incident? Would be what a lot of people would say straight away. But when somebody's 14 years old, and it's, this is not a new thing. This has happened over over the, the decades. Remember a lovely youngster, Chris Jones at, uh, at Cadwell Park. Um, you know, he was killed at the start line at Cadwell Park. I mean, it's, it's a devastating situation for all. Um, all of us have lost close friends around the racetracks during the course of the year. And when we speak with Andrea a little bit later on, um, Andrea has first-hand a very, very personal experience of, of that very thing. So uh, hopefully we won't be too morbid over it, but, but there will be a debate that's raging right now in the boardrooms of motorcycles, uh, motorcycle organisers, regarding whether uh, a 13, 14-year-old should be allowed to be at risk at that speed uh, in these circumstances. What's Absolutely, the I think very much watch this space. I don't think it will be the last time we, we talk about this. Uh, but just to echo again our thoughts, obviously, to the, the sad loss of Hugo Milan Gracia and uh, sending as many well wishes as possible to Brad Jones, who is currently uh, uh, seriously uh, ill in hospital after that superbike crash. Um, now, though, we are adding one more into the mix for this week's podcast, and uh, we're absolutely delighted uh, to be joined by Andrea Coleman, who is the co-founder and CEO of Two Wheels for Life. She's a former motorcycle racer as well and has dedicated her life uh, to using motorcycles for humanitarian causes and has built something quite spectacular at Two Wheels for Life. She's also, of course, loves MotoGP. Andrea, welcome uh, to the show. Lovely to have you on with us. Thank you for uh, taking the time, first of all, uh, to give us your time uh, this afternoon. I suppose my uh, my first question to you is, could you just explain a bit about uh, what Two Wheels for Life was set up for it and why you set it up? Yeah, well, you know, as you say, I've been involved in motorcycle racing um, all my life. I'm, I'm a, you know, motorcyclist through and through. So, um, one of the things that really inspired us to start the organization many years ago, 30 years ago, uh, was that we saw women and children in Africa not able to reach healthcare or have healthcare get to them. And we knew that motorcycles was really the answer to that. And making sure that people are highly trained in road safety, knowing how to ride, knowing how to maintain their bikes is really key to that. So that's where we started. And um, we now have an African-led Riders for Health, which was my first organization. And we now have Two Wheels for Life based in the UK and focused really on MotoGP and fundraising for the work in Africa. Andrea, there's no doubt about it that you're embedded in motorbikes, that's for sure. Um, and you've been lucky enough to have two great husbands in your life. Probably most people only have one, but being married to Tom Heron, um, I alluded to it a little earlier, but uh, Tom Heron, a superb motorcycle racer, sadly taken from us at Northwest 200. And then Barry Coleman, who is a remarkable man, I must say, Barry Coleman. I love your husband almost as much as I love you. There's no doubt about it. He was co-founder with uh, Two Wheels for Life, uh, co-founder Riders for Health, um, and came up with some superb ideas to work through the complexities of putting together an international organization 
with such a great remit, with such a great responsibility, a humanitarian responsibility? Yes, well, you know, it, I, I feel that today is, a, is, for so many reasons, a very good, um, a, a, an appropriate time to talk about the, the start of Riders for Health. And really that's linked to, I, I just like to make sure that the people who are listening know that I have, have, I have had one amazing husband and then another one, but not married to them at the same time, just so that we make that absolutely clear. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was uh, privileged and um, amazingly lucky to be married to Tom. Tom, mm -hmm. um, an, an, a rider from Northern Ireland, um, and who really tackled the MotoG or the Grand Prix circuits at that time, when road racing um, was really the heart and soul of the Northern Ireland racing community. And so we travelled in in Europe, and Tom was very successful, ending up uh, as a um, Suzuki. Uh, works rider together with um, with Barry Sheen and so his career was extraordinary and a very humble and very funny and wonderful human being of course as well as being an amazing motorcycle racer um, by the way we remember we were often talked about the time we first saw the young Keith Hewan I remember uh, Tom saying Who's that? And, uh, you know, he was just so fast and uh, suddenly appeared on the scene. So just a little little promo there for Keith's um, start at, in, in racing. Um, but then I was lucky enough to uh, work together with Barry on, in fact, on track safety. He and I, uh, together with Kenny Roberts, were very interested in... Um, and in fact, Randy Mamola and Tom was involved in this discussion about World Series early early on in those years, 1978, 79. And so um, I think we've all been very concerned about how to make racing as safe as possible. And we've been extraordinarily lucky over that time to see, my, led by Mike Trimby, how the International Race Teams Association and Dorna have made racing and continue to talk about how to work on how to make racing as safe as it possibly can be, knowing the inherent uh, issues um, that exist. So um, Barry uh, Coleman, my, my husband, uh, wrote uh, a book, a really wonderful book about Kenny Roberts and continues to be a student of the American race racing, but also we're lucky enough to have Randy Mamola as our co-founder, um, both of Riders for Health and of Two Wheels for Life. And Randy, Randy is very unusual in that he's had a very long racing career, um, but has and has ridden, I think, for every every race team, but has very rarely had an accident. He's 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 put he's put always put safety beyond and above and beyond everything else. Um, I know carpal tunnel syndrome uh, 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 dogged him a, a lot, but um, in terms of racing injuries, we've been very, very fortunate with Randy. So I, I just wanted to just um, bring together the, 
those issues. But one of the things that inspired us to start Riders for Health was to show that though motorcycle racing can be dangerous, and we know this morning those terrible accidents have occurred over the weekend, that we wanted to do something to show that motorcycles are, the, are a really amazing tool and can save lives in in Africa. And motorcycles can get to places in rural Africa where nothing else can go. And there are many communities, women, men, children, in those rural communities who need healthcare. And it's the motorcycle that's the answer to that. But everybody must wear helmets, leathers, boots, everything, however cold or hot it is, and make sure that they are safe and ride defensively. So road safety in Africa, in our programs is incredibly important. And, and I think these things, we have to think all the time about the, the, the joy of motorcycling, the, the thrill and the uh, expertise that goes into motorcycle racing, but c constantly at the same time, think about safety and how we do that better and better all the time. It's been recognized though, hasn't it, Andrea, by so many you know, big name, Bill Gates being one of them. Um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of people that, that have recognised the work that you're doing through motorcycling in Africa. Yeah, I, we've we've been supported and we are supported by um, some people who are very serious about getting healthcare to rural Africa. Um, Elton John has been a, a big supporter with his uh, um, EJAF. Uh, organization, Bill Gates, uh, World Health Organization are very uh, um, enthusiastic. Well, not, I wouldn't say enthusiastic. I'd say they know that we bring a solution that very few people can bring, especially for rural Africa. And, you know, rural Africa can, can be very much neglected just because it's so hard to address. So, um, because we've come up with a solution that um, that is in, uh, around motorcycles, then people think very highly of the work that we're doing there. And and one other thing I think is re really important that we've always put um, leadership of women and leadership of African African leadership at the forefront. And I think that's also fits very well. We did that 30 years ago, but it, it's become much more on the agenda now. And so they feel that our DNA is really very fitting for development now. It's a difficult world, though, isn't it, Andrea, with the way that people see charities at the moment? I mean, it's it's easy to kind of ignore overseas charities and, and the like. I mean, supporting your your wonky donkey for £3 a month or, or you know, animal charities are struggling everybody's struggling to, to to bring in the funding that they need to run these things i mean how two wheels for life countered that in these these circumstances well um in two ways really uh well one is that we continue to have the support of dorna and in and moto gp um and so working with them all the time means that we know that although life is very difficult at the moment and certainly has been over the last 18 months that the future to, uh, with MotoGP is strong we've also been very lucky to get the support in in here of um of, of the adventure and and uh, uh off-road 
um, motorcycling community who haven't been quite so constrained over the last little while. And in the programmes in Africa, of course, our work is more needed now than it has been in the past. So organisations like WHO are helping us to continue our work, but it's just not, we're not able to give the support to the programmes that we have been. Uh, it's really, it has... It has halted us in our tracks in so many ways. Let's talk about the big one then. The Day of Champions is the big one in Britain. It's the one that we all see on a Thursday before the British Grand Prix, but a, a completely different affair this year with the, the epidemic protocols that are in place for MotoGP. Very difficult to work around, I would think, Andrew. Yeah, um, this year, when we're not able to have hold a Day of Champions in the traditional way. Um, on Thursday, but we are holding a ride-in. Um, we're already selling tickets on, on www.twowheelsforlife.org um, for that ride-in. People start at a cafe, Willoughby Cafe, ride to Silverstone through the countryside, have three laps on track, and then uh, ride then off to the Super Sausage for um, uh, their bacon butty and to meet uh, Neil McKenzie and John McGuinness and other, other riders who are not part of the paddock bubble until later on in the weekend. So we're hoping also, we, we can't commit to this at the moment because we're not sure of the rules. We're hoping Randy Mamola will also be there. So the ride-in on Thursday will be fun and... Uh, we we usually have a you know 200 or more riders coming along and and being on track then over the weekend the whole weekend we're using uh, we've been very lucky to have monster uh, a sponsorship for setting up helmet parking uh, over the weekend so that all the fans who come to the track can still put their uh, helmets and leathers and so on in a in a covid protected way into the helmet park car, car park 40 49 and then over the weekend we're using the monster stage for two auctions one on friday one on saturday and the riders at the moment the moto gp riders are recording um uh encouraging and supportive messages to put on the big screens around the track and we will have uh, we're hoping also Randy will be able to join the auctions over the weekend. So we're bringing as much um, proximity to the MotoGP paddock as we're allowed to do and to still have our memorabilia, knee sliders from riders. And we, we, we have online at the moment Mark Marquez's uh, knee sliders from his win at Saxon Ring. So those are the sort of things we'll be bringing along and as many experiences as we can for the moment the paddock opens up. Oh, I've forgotten something. We've... <laughs> the two-seat ride will be taking place on Friday. We've got 10 places uh, to sell, and uh, those, will, those will be two laps on track with the Ducati two-seat, plus VIP Village for those people over the weekend. You can bring a guest with you into the paddock and you'll have hospitality all of Friday in the paddock with Ducati and then VIP hospitality, village hospitality over the weekend. That was a hell of a lot to forget, you know, Andrea. How could I have forgotten that? <laughs> <laughs> 
That all sounds absolutely wonderful, Andrew. And if people can't make it out anywhere, can they still donate and support in any way online, even from home? Is there a way to do that? Yes, there is. On on our website, www.twowheelsforlife.org, we, we hold auctions all the time, online auctions. We will have uh, a prize draw as well for one of the two-seat rides over the weekend. Um, and also, people can donate there. But you know... What we love about Two Wheels for Life is we love fans to get something for themselves as well as to, we want people to have fun and also support the work that we do. So where, whenever and wherever we can, we make sure that people can have some fun and help the work. So that's, our, that's the way we like it to be. And that is the way it really should be, isn't it? Andrea, thank you so much for uh, taking a bit of time to come with us. Everything, if you missed any of that or you want to go and see more of it yourself, uh, as Andrea said, twowheelsforlife.org is the website. Now, uh, Andrea, before uh, we uh, let you go and get on with your day, this is, of course, a very professional and serious MotoGP podcast, and we know you are a MotoGP fan. And what we've asked everybody to do, including our listeners and ourselves, is give their top three for the championship predictions. Now, are you up for the challenge of predicting who will win, who will come second, and who will come third in the overall championship in the drive in the rider standings come the end of the year? Are you up for it? I'm up for it, yeah. Go on then. The floor <laughs> is yours. Who have you got? All right. Well, I I'm I'm obliged, I think, to say uh, Fabio Quattararo first. Uh, Johan Zarco second, and then yeah, I'm going to go for Maverick third. Okay, oh, a bit of redemption for Vinales, maybe <laughs> come the end of the year. That, I'll, that I'll might, let you in that on, might be on where you what, just um... drop the ball, Andrea. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, Keith's gone Quartararo, Banyaya and Mir. Pete's gone Quartararo, Zarco and Banyaya. I went Zarco for the championship win. I'm the, I think I'm the, uh, the mug of everybody here. But uh, And Quartararo and Oliveira for third. So uh, we've added you to the list. Thank you for that, Andrew. We've also got all of our listeners who are taking part in that as well. And we'll come back to you at the end of the year. Because uh, they're... Yeah, well, there's a prize, sure. We'll come up with a prize by the end of the year to whoever wins it. <laughs> and I, I'm going to give you all the prize for being the most, the three most patient men on earth. So thank you very much. <laughs> so Andrew Coleman from Two Wheels for Life. Thank you so much for, for coming on to the Crash Moso GP podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, to have you along with us. Right, well, we also uh, have got some more breaking news coming out in the last week since the last podcast, of course, gents. Uh, and uh, we did speculate about it a little bit. There was a lot of talk on it, of course. And it's finally confirmed that Danny Pedrosa will return to some racing action at the Styrian Grand Prix, which is the first race, the first Austrian one back after the uh, the summer break. Also KTM's home race. And uh, having been a KTM test rider for twenty uh, since 2019, Keith, he's finally getting a run out uh, during the race. It's going to be brilliant to see him back, isn't it? It is going to be brilliant to see him back. He's well in the deep end, though. I have to say that, OK, Red Bull sponsorship, Red Bull ring is where we are. You know, he knows the KTM, he knows the track really, really well. But there's nothing like full-blown racing miles to hone your final skills. There's no doubt about it, he's a fast man. He's going to be fast. Is he going to be fast enough to compete in the top 10? Tell you what, I still think that's a massive, massive achievement if he does. Um, we'll wait and see. Danny Pedrosa, 
no fall on a motorbike, knows the KTM, knows the track, but I still think that, that everything has moved on. And when you've not got race miles under your belt, same thing will happen if Cal Crusso, if that is announced at any stage, uh, if he does replace Morbidelli, I mean, we've been waiting for that, that particular thing, uh, that announcement to come. I mean, if, if, if Cal gets a run at two Red Bull rings and then Silverstone, by the time we get to Silverstone, he might be up to speed. But I think come back in a one-off ride of the wild in the in the frantic kind of MotoGP world that we live in nowadays, I think that's a really big deal if you manage to put something off a bit there. We'll see. I don't underestimate what Danny can do, but we'll all the same, I think it's going to be a real task. Never, never underestimate the power of 31 uh, wins either. And actually, Pete, what's really interesting is this will be the first time he's raced not on a Honda. That's right. Yeah. Entire Grand Prix career was with Honda. So, you know, um, it's just, I think no one expected it. As, as Keith's saying, you know, he, he's, he's not just out for one year. He's been out for a couple of seasons. And, and to come back, having not, you know, okay, Troy Bayliss came back, had that sensational win in the 06. But, I mean, he, he'd, he'd been racing Superbike. He was still a full-time racer. I mean, Danny's just been doing test riding duties. And now he's, he's putting himself in the mix. It's a, it's a brave move. As Keith says, it's nothing to, be un- to underestimate the challenge ahead. And I'm sure Danny isn't. You know, he says he's doing this for... To, to enhance his testing, if you like, and to, to understand what, what the riders need more and things like that. And, you know, it, it is so hard to predict what, what's possible because you have to try and predict what's possible for KTM first, don't you? And, and then, you know, like last year's races, none of them went the full distance. You know, they were both interrupted. So we didn't get to see any race that went the full distance. So we didn't get to see what tire wear might have done, what, who might have had fuel issues. You know, the only thing we probably know is that Ducati is still going to be faster. Um, I mean, sorry, Keith, yeah, go on. One thing's for sure, though, Pete, the power-to-weight ratio is going to be pretty much in KTM. <laughs> I was just going to say, we also know the KTM Danny. is fast this year, yeah. So, you know, yeah. And with Danny on it, weighing six stone or whatever he does, <laughs> he is going to absolutely fly off the line at somewhere like the Red Bull Ring. <laughs> Well, it's going to be brilliant um, so, yeah, to see so, him back, isn't it? Yeah, it'll be great to see him back. To say, 31 wins. I mean, that is, I think, you know, we were talking about Randy Mamola before. I think he's one of those those names. Max Biaggi's another one. Guys that won a lot of races but didn't win the world title. But no one comes close to Pedroza's record, you know, as far as number of race wins and, and mm. without a title. You know, he he's one of those, uh, the aliens, as they were known, we've spoken about before, that were dominating for much of, you know, so many years in MotoGP, but he didn't get the title. And I think, you know, he sort of alluded that maybe he would have liked to have perhaps tried a different bike, you know, maybe a Yamaha, you know, that he was close to Patronus. Um, you, you know, I mean, Quattararo, let's remember, he got that ride because Pedroza decided to retire. This is the, you know, the quirks of fate, isn't it? Um, but, you know, Danny, they were talking to Danny and, and Danny was openly considering it. In the end, he thought, you know, my time is right to step back. Um, now he's obviously decided the time is right to, to come back one more time. So it, it's great for MotoGP and, and looking forward to see how he'll do. Well, really excited to have Pedrosa back on the grid. That's for the Styrian Grand Prix on the KTM uh, and just a couple of more weeks until we get some racing action as well. Uh, now, I actually just wanted to get your opinion as well and uh, start with Keith on this uh, Garrett Gerloff stepping in recently in MotoGP with a with you know good solid performances coming out you know not much experience on the MotoGP bike and putting in some decent performances now back in Superbikes of course uh, signed a deal recently to stay on at Yamaha which seems like quite an early move as well and that takes him out of the running for any potential MotoGPs but also getting himself involved in a little bit of an incident with uh, Toprak uh, at the weekend what are your thoughts on that because a lot of people saying that Gerloff was a little bit uh, well a little bit in the wrong there, I think, is a, a polite way of saying it. 
I was going to say, Harry, your always, politeness just, just is wonderful always. because it's, it's, it, it, it was, my mum would be absolutely happy to have you as a second son, by the way. Um, <laughs> the point being is that Gerloff was, was out of order. I mean, he was out, he had a crash in, in uh, Super Bowl, I think it was, and put himself in a position where he was starting from a long way back. Got himself up to the third row of the grid to start the race that he had that crash with um, Top Rack in. Um, and he, he tried too much too soon. I mean, turn one of, 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 of the full race distance was just stupid. I mean, it was, was brain out time. It's not what you do. Um, showed a bit of overconfidence. And then a, a bit later on, I mean, had to go through pit lane as a, as a, a, a ride. He ends up crashing anyway, um, trying to come back from there. But it was when it, you have those kind of weekends sometimes where whatever you do, he was fast. He was fast and he deserved much better. Um, than what he ended up giving himself. But the, the point being is that that's the way some weekends pan out sometimes. It's Top Rack I feel sorry for. I mean, Top Rack got wiped out. Top Rack came into the weekend with a slight advantage in the championship. Um, finds him, and I mean, Johnny Ray, you don't give Jonathan Ray, you know, three race wins. Bang. He's, what, 37 points in the lead again now, Jonathan Ray. Chances of anybody catching him now throughout the rest of the season are pretty minimal compared with Jonathan Ray's hit rate is so good everywhere else as well. So I can't see anybody catching it, but Top Rack had a real advantage coming into this race, got taken out by a fellow Yamaha man in Gerloff. Talking to the contract, Top Rack, obviously, Razgari Oglu, assigned for Yamaha uh, to stay in World Superbikes. Gerloff assigned for another year, I think it is, for, for his. So he puts himself in sync with everyone else's MotoGP contract, I think, by the end of 2022. I think I'm right saying Um But the, 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 I think the big press at the moment is, is why are these guys staying in signing for World Superbike when MotoGP is the premier class. And they're just giving themselves a little bit more of a breathing space, I would suggest. You know, Gerloff is comfortable where he is um, at the moment. He can win a world title in World Superbikes. That would be his aim, you know, to do that next year. And to go to MotoGP as a World Superbike champion, you know, you've got you know, some very famous names in the past that have done the same. Colin Edwards is one of my favourites, of course. Um, to go into MotoGP as a World Superbike champion, is is a pretty big thing. Should he have done it? Shouldn't he have done it? I think he's just bought himself some time, that's all. Um, given himself that little extra time to get himself up to speed into Europe and uh, you know, get acquainted with us weirdos. Fair enough. Keith, is that pretty much what you're hearing as well? Ear to the ground? Um, well, firstly, I was going to say that, you know, Jonathan Ray is the other big rumour, isn't he? About superbike riders that might be interested in MotoGP. Now, the interesting thing is that this announcement, these announcements are being made. It kind of suggests that there is a plan that's sort of slowly falling into place with Yamaha and these 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 vacant seats that they've got in MotoGP, or we believe they have. Except we know they've got at least one, and we think it's going to be several more. Now, you know, there's no rush to, to announce people. So, that, so announcing Top Rack, announcing Gerloff, you know, it, it suggests that they know what they want to do and they probably are confident that they're going to get what they want. Now, there's still a lot, lot of names that we're hearing on this list of potential riders, isn't it? As say Jonathan Ray is, is never say never, this is words on the weekend, which, which are, you know, getting a lot of people excited. So, uh, you know, Razan Razali, the, the team put out that press release, I think it was last week, a bit of an interview with him where he sort of just calmed things down a bit as, you know, we're not going to announce anything for a few races and things like that. We now hear that Gerloff, probably didn't have any offer from Petronas. So, you know, it just gives the impression that they know what they're after. 
And Raslin said a few times in that interview, young riders, you know, he said, young riders know what they can do with our team, you know, and he gives the example of Potteraro and Morbidelli. So I think we, we kind of know certainly where his mind is as far as looking to the future. We're hearing another Fernandez name, not Raul, but Augusto, who's another Moto2 rider. Now, um, you know, I've heard that from a, a good friend of mine as well, good, good journalist, good source. And, you know, to be honest, I'd heard of it to do with the Moto2 team at Petronas, but now we're hearing maybe he might not be out there running at the MotoGP team. So is this another name that's in the mix there? Um, you know, it, it's just interesting, as we say, that, that, that it's been announced now. They could have waited. They could have just said, look, look, Gareth, you know, sign this contract, give it two months, and then we'll announce, look, will you be going to MotoGP or will you be staying? They've decided, no, no, announce now, you'll be staying in Superbike. And that tells me that they expect that to happen. They don't want to be announcing someone in Superbike and then two months later announcing them in MotoGP. It just doesn't look great from an organizational point of view, does it? So I think it's, yeah, I think the interesting thing for me is that it probably says that they, they know who they want and they, they're perhaps confident they're going to get them. But really, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of names on the list still. So many names. I feel like all summer break long. It's just been uh, who, right, Vinales has caused all this trouble. Now, who, uh, <laughs> where do all the pieces fall into place? And I hope that's answered as well. I think Jamie Davis, uh, uh, sorry, Barry Allen sent in that question uh, on uh, whether the um, Johnny Ray to a Yamaha is a, uh, a waste of a factory seat or a serious challenger. And I think, you know, what do you think from that? Is it is it a waste or is it a serious challenge? Because, he, you know, he said never say never. He's teasing us. But clearly, <laughs> it surely wouldn't be a waste. No, it definitely won't be a race. Uh, Johnny Ray knows his way. Jonathan Ray, rather. We always It's quite funny when you hear commentators call him Johnny Ray. Johnny Ray's his dad. <laughs> Jonathan Ray is Jonathan Ray. Let's get that distinction right. That's why Johnny Ray is, is the good old boy. And uh, Jonathan Ray is, uh, is, the, is the fast kid. Yeah, Barry, get it right. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wasn't criticising Barry at all. Um, but it's, it's funny, I was listening to the, the broadcast over the weekend and they kept calling him Johnny all the time. And, you, you, you know, old fellas like me get into that because obviously, you know, we used to talk about Johnny Ray, but that's that. Um, Jonathan will not be wasting his time. Jonathan is a weapon. Um, he's got it worked out. He's, he's got class. I think if he goes into retirement without going to MotoGP, I feel... That, that will be that will play on his mind probably for the rest of his life. If he gets an opportunity in MotoGP on a proper motorcycle, proper contract, all the bits and pieces you need to do the job, then surely a hurrah in MotoGP is where he needs to go. He's, he's definitely got that analytical skill. He's got a special talent, Jonathan Ray. Um, and it would be very disappointing for us, and I think probably for him, if he doesn't get that last shot in MotoGP. He's not too old. I mean, that's, that's you know, he, he, he's still got a couple of good years in him yet to be able to make that work. Um, I'm really excited. I mean, if there is that opportunity there for him. But it's going to be down to whether politically he can put it together properly. It's got to be a proper full-blown factory run to be worthwhile. Well, we'll have to watch this space on that one. Well, thank you, uh, uh, Jamie. For, uh, sorry, Barry, for sending that one in. Jamie, we'll get to J Jamie sent in a very good question. We'll get to that uh, a little later on uh, as well. So thank you for sending in all your questions as well. Do send them all in. Crash Net, all the socials, Crash Moto GP, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, run all of them. Uh, so uh, we will get to them as uh, much as we can. So thank you for sending in all your listener questions and we'll get th uh, through as many as we can. Uh, let's start with Alex, actually, who picks up on something we were discussing the last couple of weeks of course we're losing 
a few rounds off the calendar week by week we lost australia we're losing some more of the asian rounds as well and well threatening to lose quite a few because as we discussed last week once one goes it's a bit of a worry that the rest will follow like dominoes uh, but on that uh, alex has asked do you think moto gp could return to some older tracks like suzuka donnington laguna seca hockenheim istanbul kailami if there was a few improvements made for safety you can't make the kind of improvements you've got to make for safety just at a knee-jerk kind of reaction. And I can't see Dorna risking their safety record, especially in light of what's happened this weekend, with a slightly iffy track. Um, they've got to be homologated. That takes time. You know, you've got to have representations going out to the tracks to see what that has to be done. And then they have to put that into place. So I can't see tracks that are, that are sort of borderline being introduced just like that. I can see double headers coming our way again. I mean, we're going to Kota later on. Circuit of the Americas in Texas, will they run a double header there? Quite possibly. Will Malaysia keep going to Pang? Will they run a double header there? If it does, um, will they run a back-to-back weekend with that? Um, it's a nightmare scenario. And you know that Dorna have got right up to plan Z um, ready. Uh, we talked last week about the plans for Thailand. I spoke to... Uh, I'll name him now, Mike Trimby, just before we, we recorded this thing last last week. And he was, he, he said to me, look, we've got a protocol in place for Thailand. It's all agreed with the organisers, with the promoters, with the government in Thailand. Within a day of us recording that, the very next day on the Tuesday when our podcast went out, um, it was all blown to pieces by the fact that the tyres had decided that they weren't going to be able to go ahead with it. And Dorna were put on their right on their back foot with that at that particular point because Dorna didn't even know that the Thai government had made that decision until the Tuesday. Um, so it's, 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 it's something that can happen overnight for, for Dorna, even though they've got every plan in place and every protocol in place. If a government or a region decides that they can't hold that race meeting, Dorna are screwed. And then they have to play, go to the next plan, whatever the next level is for, for trying to keep the amount of rounds up there and um, for us. But, but other than having double headers, like we've got coming up with, with the Styrian and the Austrian Grand Prix at the Red Bull Ring, what else can they do? Let's have a double header at Silverstone. Now, that really will be something. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd vote for that straight away. Double header at Silverstone and, and stay there the entire week. You know, like the fans can stay there. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and make a real festival of it. We can all be drunk for three days. Perfect. <laughs> a double header at Silverstone, I think, is something we could all get behind as well. Thank you, Alex, for sending in that question. Right. Adam Keeble has asked, though, on the subject of uh, calendar changes, with the current COVID situation, of course, forcing several tracks uh, off the calendar, if you had free reign to add any new circuits to the series, which ones would you choose? Are these circuits without safety records or are these circuits with safety <laughs> records? Mm, I let's have one without and one with. How's that? Well, Spa. <laughs> All day long, I'd have Spa back on the... Uh, on the calendar, um, and with a safety record, I said, "Well, it's bloody hard actually finding one with a safety record that's up to MotoGP spec." But you're probably talking about Ricard or somewhere like that, south of France, which, that probably could come up to spec fairly easily. But um, I think we'd all die of some confusion just by the paint job around Ricard. You know, and go both sides just trying to ride around it, looking at the uh, whoever thought of that paint job at Ricard. Honestly, stupid now. Aldo Drudi, they certainly are not. You know, Mizano, the beautiful paintwork of Mizano by Aldo Drudi. 
and yet you've got the spirograph set that is anybody that's old enough can remember spirograph that's what you've got at Paul Ricard. You're going to have to look it up, Harry. You know what spirograph is, do you? Yeah. <laughs> no, not a clue. I know what Paul Ricard looks like, though. <laughs> Just about. Uh, Pete, go on. What's yours? Uh, okay. Uh, with, with a safety record, I, I, we mentioned it with the earlier question, actually, it was brought up Istanbul Park. I think oh. it'd be great to go back there. I think that is a track that does meet all the safety requirements and is a, a good, challenging track to ride. Uh, the other one, maybe... Part of me, just because it was where I saw my first Grand Prix, would be Donington Park. I'd just like to see them going down Craner curves, you know, the current generation on the current bikes through that section of track. I think that'd be great, but uh, those would be my two. I think Donington's up to spec as well, homologation-wise. I think you can run a MotoGP at uh, Donington Park straight away, so that would be a good idea, actually, when you think about it. Istanbul Park, that's a great shout. That flat right-hander over the hill, just on a, on a 500cc bike drifting. Oh, oh. It's standing the ears on my hands up already, just talking about it, just thinking uh, about it. Yeah, that would be, that's a great shout, Pete. Istanbul Park and Spa. There we go. We've got a, a consensus. Right then, uh, chaps, let's uh, go through and finish up with a couple of our wonderful listener questions that we've had sent through. Already had a couple thrown at you. Let's continue on. And actually, uh, sort of following on from what we discussed right at the start of the show with that horrible accident for the the 14 year old rider as well jamie davis has uh, said is the racing especially in the smaller classes with larger size grids and younger riders getting a little bit too dangerous after today's events at the cev and recent moto three races i think we sort of alluded it this is quite a big debate to have isn't it and uh, perhaps it's it's worth sort of just holding out a little bit longer on that but it, it does promote you know we've said it already there's a huge debate that's going to be had to have around this it's not the last time we've heard of it i think hit the nail on the head he's absolutely bang on dead right i mean that is the absolute essence of the debate that's raging at the moment behind the scenes i mean you you will have read about it you know various people have put different columns out there that um you know and, and referred back to columns written years ago when this has happened previously um is it in the sports interest to move the minimum age further forward. I mean, they, they, they allow the junior world champion of 15 to come in. You know, they moved the goalposts when they, they said a junior world championship could, could come into the main Grand Prix series when it used to be only 16 years old. Problem is, what you've got here is a political situation as well as how I see it. The UK, riders mature later in the UK. We are not really ready to go into anything meaningful until we're in our 20s at least. Whereas in Spain, 12, 13, 14, 15, you're getting youngsters that are right there at almost world championship level straight away. It's almost like if you're an 18, 19, 20-year-old in Spain, you're going to be overlooked because there are faster riders that are younger. Is it the responsibility of Dorna and other organisations, FIM, who was supposed to be our overarching body of, uh, of uh, control, is it their position, should it be their position, that they make the minimum age that you can race a motorcycle at over 100 mile an hour. Most of them are 100, 130 mile an hour motorbikes, even in the lower class. You know, the fact is, is, is that a weapon? Is that pressure too much for kids of 13 and 14 years old? I would say yes. Would I allow my kids to be in something as intense as that, as young as that? I don't think I would. Exactly, Heath. I think, you know, it's, it's easy to talk about, see these things on TV. I mean, see the racing on TV, but I mean, you, you've stood by many a racetrack in your time, no doubt you guys. And, you know, to see what, what those speeds look like in real life when you're near the track and you think 
how old is the guy on that bike? It, it, you know, it does make you think at, at what at what age should people be on certain speeds of bike or certain types of track, you know, big tracks, you know, where do you, where do you draw that line? The problem is you're trying to set a worldwide, as Keith says, you've got all these different federations and, and different ages where people start racing on different size bikes. And, you know, it really needs to try and coordinate it on a worldwide level and somehow put maybe restrictions in place that just limit the speeds or the, or the, or the type of bikes or something, you know, on the other side of the coin, if you want to play devil's advocate, you know, teenagers take risks and they do crazy things as part of daily life. And, and, and it's just part of growing up, isn't it? And so you can also look at the other side, these, 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 these kids, if we want to call them that they're racing in with all the protective gear, the most safe race tracks in the world. You know, Aragon is a Grand Prix circuit, as Keith mentioned earlier. They've got the top class medical facilities. So if they're if they're gonna take risks, you know, it's the safest possible environment for them. But it's yeah, it's it's just hard when things like this happen to not naturally think, should we take a closer look at this? It's crowded out on the racetrack. When you've got 30 kids racing very similar motorcycles at similar speeds, the factor is in when something goes wrong in the middle of that pack is it going to be any different from a 14 year old to an 18 year old it won't the outcome will be the same in that situation um it's almost a, a discussion that is impossible it has no correct conclusion because you know you, you you want to promote youngsters you want youngsters to be able to for me the the biggest thing is the pressure what pressure are those youngsters under they are looking at being world champions you know, at 16, effectively. Um, is that too young? Is that aspiration too young? The situation where, you know, the Alberto Puiges of the world that, that, you know, run some of this stuff behind the scenes. I mean, they're signing up kids really, really, really young. They are adults. It's funny talking about, with Andrea Coleman, talking about Randy Mamola. Now, I remember Randy Mamola when he first came to the track side. And he was just a youngster with braces on here. Jim Doyle was his name, wasn't he? Co-pilot for Pan Am, Jim Doyle, who was his manager, and it was this big American thing, and it was this little kid that basically was getting pushed and shoved. He was fast, and he coped with it really well. Uh, he was really the first youngster I ever saw that possibly was too young to be racing at that level in his mentality at that time. He was still a kid. He was still a young kid at that time, and I worry about that, that kind of whether it chews them up and spits them out, forget about the injury part of it, if we can, for the moment. Um, but it's, it's the mental side of it, being chewed up and spat out before you get to, to, to where you hoped you were going to be as a world champion. It's, it's a tough environment for an adult, let alone a youngster. You, you would hope that they have that kind of infrastructure around them and family and management that can, can sort of look after them in that circumstance. But there's nothing worse than a road race dad or a motocross dad shouting from the sidelines. You know, you, you hear the stories about Lorenzo, you know, Jorge Lorenzo's dad was a real taskmaster. He used to put Jorge through all sorts of um, programs of training. No wonder he turned out like he did. <laughs> 
Well, I mean, you've said it all there, you know, especially with athletes just getting younger and younger by the year. It's 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 incredible what they are able to put themselves through. But Jamie Davis, there are asking the question that very much uh, needs to be asked. So thank you for sending that through. And I'm sure that that debate will continue to uh, roll on. Uh, Craig Pope now another one. He said another podcast mentioned how attractive a Legends Championship will be. Well, first of all, Craig, why are you listening to another podcast? This is the only one you should be listening to. All right. But I'll carry on with your question nonetheless. Um, uh, would uh, a Legends Championship, a small lineup of six retired riders and one-year-old machines, eight rounds in Europe, he's got it all figured out, 10 laps after the MotoGP race, could that be a way for the likes of Valentino Rossi to stay racing, even being competitive? Would Dorna or the riders be keen to see that? Keith, you could be back on that, no? I think we'd all be keen to see it. Um, well, Wayne Gardner tried to get me back at it with the World Gar- Wayne Gardner Legends series <laughs> that he put on. Um, with some dubious superstars and some very big superstars that he managed to attract into that. End of the day, you know, it costs a fortune to put those kind of things on. There's that classic series that goes on Spa, for instance. You know, the, the Spa Francia show, I can't even say it right, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, there are some of these legend series and they attract massive crowds, massive amounts of people and massive interest. You know, look at the weekend. You've got the, the Ducati Tri-Option series and you've got Walker and, and McGuinness. The biggest cheer of the weekend was when those two were up on that podium. I mean, it was massive. You know, there's nothing people, you know, you've got your fan base. You, you know, you follow, you know, in my day, of course, it was Kenny Roberts, Barry Sheen, people like that. You were just in awe of them all the time when I was coming up to the ranks. And, and to see them perform in a, in a series on modern motorbikes would be just great. Of course, you've got that in your, your mind all the time. But is it viable? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a one-off classic event. You know, sometimes, but I can't see it as a series. You know, track time is taken up. The amount of costs involved are huge. Um, and probably some of these guys, some guys have made quite big money in their careers, but some haven't. So they'll need paying, um, which is always mm. uh, always a little tricky when uh, budgets are involved like that. And it would be my excuse for not having to do it. No, you're not paying me enough. Because <laughs> 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 there is nothing worse. Than being a legend in your own mind, but um, not being well you know, on the track. Yeah. Well, yeah. When your ambition is outweighed, you know, when your talent is outweighed by your ambition, you're screwed, really, aren't you? <laughs> All anyway, right. Well, um, hang we'll on a second. What did you say? Oh, yeah. <laughs> terrible right we've got one final question for uh, for you both here uh from daniel patrick Coyle. um as i was cutting the grass the other day i was talking to myself and said uh, uh, i got it let's go back in time 250 cc 350 cc 500 cc for moto gp classification but with a new twist 60 80 and 100 kilogram minimum weights and all supercharged moto three and two are singles moto gp are twins what do we make of that tell you what i love the way that it's so detailed you know like (laughs) it's not a random question is it this is something that somebody's thought about (laughs) he's just he's 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 put this out there and gone that's what's happening get behind it (laughs) unfortunately it's down to manufacturers what they want you know, it's, it's what the manufacturers are prepared to, to prep, how much the manufacturers are prepared to put in with whatever they're looking for later in life, later in, in their development. Um, you know, I, I, as you know, and from age alone, I'm a two-stroke man, you know, and, and I still believe that at some stage down the road, two-strokes are coming back, <laughs> one way or another. Um, 
as long as it doesn't go, the all-electric thing, as we debated before, is, was always concerned me slightly. You know, I, I think that the smoke and mirrors around uh, the battery versions is, is is a little bit too much for me to actually. I'm an I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I'm not great when it comes to battery life in a in a in a racing motorcycle. We are where we are because of manufacturers. I think people agree with that. Exactly. I mean, if we want all these manufacturers that we've got in the sport, we have to be racing with machines that they want to spend a lot, an awful lot of money developing. And that's the key. I mean, unless they're selling bikes or bikes that they can, you know, compare in some way with the models in the showroom, then, you know, they're not going to want to invest in the sport. And, you know, I have to say with all that detail in, you know, the planning of the question, I think he must have a very, very big lawn. I, th I think that's, you know, I mean, maybe it's a, stately home or something i don't know but um <laughs> but well done on that um but yeah yeah i mean it'd be great i mean those those weights as well super lightweight and, and power and everything but that that's the issue is you, you, you're trying to keep the manufacturers involved and ktm you know keeps talking about two strokes you know, ktm i think you know they their, their bikes they do injected two strokes you know they, they they've kept the two stroke going modern two stroke design efficient clean you know so it's not that all manufacturers are against them but you know, you, you need the you need all of them on board, and that's the trouble. We've seen that, that the Japanese manufacturers don't want to go down the two-stroke route. The European ones, certainly some European ones, are, are really pushing that still. So we don't know quite where we're going to end up with the future, whether it will be, you know, two-strokes coming back, electric, as we've said before. It'll probably be a bit of everything, different, different ideas, different situations. Um, but I think, you know, the... The class that we've got now, the manufacturer interest is the key. You know, you, you need the support of the manufacturers because without that, it's really hard to have a championship. And that's why Dawn has been really clever with the technical rules. The manufacturers decide them. You know, they're, they're kind of left, you know, lock them in a room and you tell us what you want. You know, if they want a rule change, the manufacturers all have to agree it amongst themselves. You know, it's only in very exceptional situations where the championship organisers will kind of go, no, no, you need to, you need to change something. So the manufacturers are all involved in the sport, in what the bikes that we're racing, you know, they decide the rules, the technical rules. And, um, you know, that's the key. That's the key to the success, I think. Well, if they ever come up with a hot air class, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could all have a first dab at that, because uh, that just about <laughs> brings us to the end of another MotoGP Crash podcast. Uh, thank you, gents, for all of that. Thank you, Daniel, for sending in that final question as well. Well, statement, really, I suppose. Uh, but always brilliant to have your input as well. The good news, next week... It's race week, so we can preview the race as well. Keith's going to be back with his insider's guide. It's all happening for Styria as well. We're also going to have a chat about the MotoGP technical freeze, whether that should uh, uh, be carrying on or whether we should take a little closer look at that as well. And all the usual bits and pieces, plus your questions as well. Get in touch. Send them in all the usual ways. Uh, leave them in the comments section or tweet Instagram, Facebook us. Just search Crash MotoGP. And please leave us a review as well wherever you get your podcast as long it's a good review we don't want to hear any of the bad ones only the good ones please uh but keith you and pete mclaren thank you very much i've been harry benjamin and we will see you next time on the next episode of the crash moto gp podcast bye bye 
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.